Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. On the Doing Time Show today, we're going to be speaking first up with Megan Cracker and Jerry from the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project. And we'll be speaking to them about a lawsuit taking on the Western Australian State Government for treatment of Aboriginal children at the Banksia Hill Juvenile Detention Centre. And we'll be speaking quite a lot about that and also paying tribute to a young man um, who who was 15 years old and died um, as as a result of um, excessive violence and being beaten by another young young white man. And we'll be speaking about that um, later on and a warning that this will contain images and more images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples that have died. And then after that, we'll be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action and we'll be speaking with him about music in prisons and basically what there's a there's a book that's just come out and it's called it's called music making sorry listening to incarcerated voices by Mary L Cohen and Stuart P Duncan and we'll be speaking a lot about the incarceration machine and looking at the fact that mu- music making in prisons looks at the role that it can play and these authors actually argue that there's a a very important role in achieving goals of accountability and healing that challenge the widespread assumption that prisons and punishment keep society safe. And that's just a little bit of a brief summary. And so this show is actually going to be having some really, really sensitive information today. So look after yourselves um, and take care of each other. And so we'll be speaking quite sh- very shortly now with um, Megan and Jerry. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. And I'm going to be bringing an interview yep. to listeners um, from Megan Cracker, who's from the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project, and also with Jerry as well, who I'm going to ask him to introduce himself, both of them actually, um, from the same project. And we're going to be speaking about quite a few things actually, but 
One of them being the the mistreatment of youth in detention at the notorious Banksia um, Detention Centre in WA, and I'm sure that Jerry and Arnie Megan will tell me the proper terminology about all this. Um, so I'm just going to make a formal introduction, but before I do that, I also wanted to pay tribute as well to the young 15-year-old boy, Aboriginal boy, that um, died recently, I believe, in custody in WA, and I was going to talk a little bit about that as well. Megan and Jerry, I wanted to truly welcome and honour you and welcome you to the Doing Time show. Thank you for having us on. Let me correct something for your listeners. The young boy who was 15 years old who died didn't die in custody. Nothing wrong. He wasn't incarcerated. Uh, no, no, of course not. And I want to talk about that. I, be- I believe he was he was um, he was beaten. Yes. Vigilantism. It was racial profiling, and uh, uh, even though it was vigilantism and racial profiling, it was mistaken identity. He was an innocent soul who was on his way home from school, and uh, his life was lost because of racial profiling. Thank you so much for that. I mean, yeah, this this show does not just concentrate on deaths in custody anyway, and racial profiling is definitely relevant to, and and very very we need to talk about systemic racism. Jerry, thanks so much for that correction. Now, um, can you introduce yourself, um, Arnie Megan, first of all, and tell us what land you're from and, and what project? No worries, my darling, and so happy to be with you again. It's I'm lovely. an absolute superstar, so thank you very much for this. <laughs> it's good to have you. And so we're the National Suicide Prevention Trauma Recovery Project, but where I come from is about four hours out of Perth. It's, called a, it's a place called Mount Barker. Kind of like if you blink and miss it, that type of thing, but, you know, we've got good chickens down there, good wines, good grapes, all of it. So we're very lucky and blessed in that beautiful country. Um, come from a family of 13 brothers and sisters, really quite strongly connected. Um, so family all over the place here in Perth, uh, in Albany, um, a couple of brothers that live over in Melbourne. So very, very blessed. But Noongar country is where I come from and Wogglekeb specifically. Thank you so much, Auntie. Much appreciated. And Jerry, what about you? Can you just introduce yourself to tell yourself, to little, tell us a bit about yourself? Okay, so my name is Jerry Georgiades, and uh, I've lived in Western Australia for a quarter of a century. Before that, I spent 10 years effectively travelling the world, global travels that opened up my eyes, more so than uh, the three waves of education over three decades that I had. And uh, prior to my global travels, which were from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, and then a quarter of a century in WA, I'm from the Eastern Seaboard. So I was born in Sydney, and I'm a migrant uh, Greek parent. My father's passed away, my mum was 85. And, uh, yeah, I grew up in the western suburbs, and, yeah, and I've spent my whole life social justice informed. So whatever I've done, whether in the tertiary sector, whether in health and welfare, in suicide prevention, in restorative works in the carceral system, I've always worked for the marginalised by the poverty line. And uh, I'm part of the National Suicide Prevention Trauma Recovery Project, a near-all volunteer effort that we're trying to get funded. Um, a step down from the National Indigenous Critical Response Service, the Commonwealth Task Force on Suicide Postvention in Lost in Greece that I uh, got funded and set up and then stepped down after two and a half years so I could be succeeded by a First Nations person to make it an all-First Nations service. And Megan worked with me there for two years before following me across the National Suicide Prevention Recovery Project. Megan and I met 
uh, while she was working on the Royal Commission into Child Sexual Abuse Institutional Responses. She went to 27 prisons to take out the stories so the two years, two and a half years through no more legal, got set up to do that, and to 30 communities. And I met her in one of those uh, communities uh, uh, in the remote about seven years ago. Uh, there's a story in that in itself, but for another time, and Megan and I have been <laughs> ever, ever since. A good story, huh? <laughs> yeah, funny story, I'll tell you. I'll have to tell you offline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But a lot of love and respect there, you know. Just really strong relationship, and I'm so happy. I know Jerry, Jerry and I, we've um, been through the trenches, and we fought some incredible battles with the families to get true justice. Fantastic, fantastic. So, we, before we move on to the horrific um, details of Banksia Hill, um, just let's just do like a quick tribute. And in case listeners have just tuned in, um, I'm doing an interview with Megan and Jerry from the. Um, suicide Prevention Project, and we'll, I'll do more detail later on about that. But um, just wanted to let you know the young 15-year-old boy did not die in custody, although there was racial profiling. Could one of you just, um, you, you know, obviously we've got to be respectful of this, um, just let us know what happened to, to this young man. His family must be devastated. Well, I'll let Megan speak to that because mm. Sure. Well, Jerry, if you go first there and then I'll jump in after you. Well, I was in Vietnam at the time and I spent a, a couple of weeks away in Vietnam and, uh, and I learned of it while it happened there. I, did, I, I do know the mum. I've known her for 20 years. She's an incredible woman. I did see her on a Sunday morning first when I got back on, on the Saturday. We spent five hours together at the house and uh, I did speak at a, a, a rally and I have awesome respect for mum. And uh, my heart breaks for what uh, she's uh, gone through. Yeah. But Megan has been a huge support for this stalwart, steadfast mum who wants to bring people together. And, uh, uh, and the legacy of a child who had uh, a great future ahead of him. And uh, Megan should be the one to speak uh, to sure. young Cassie's sure. life and uh, Michelle's journey. No, just uh, Michelle is just a stalwart. She's the most amazing person. She's very kind. She's very loving. I mean, we met with Michelle. We've known each other for a while, but we came into contact properly, I guess, when we started working at Acacia Prison. Myself, Jerry, and um, Connie, and another uh, another lady who was a psychologist one day a week. But you know, she always went over and above to help the fellows out in the prison. She was well loved and well respected. And just a beautiful human being. Just in relation to young Cassius, rest in peace, he was on his way home from school. He did have his school uniform on. Yeah. Um, he was in the right place at the right time. And sadly, this is what happened to him in terms of racial profiling. And he's no longer here. Rest in peace. So on the 13th, this is when the horrendous attack took place. Um, he was in hospital. Whilst he was in hospital, he was walking, he was talking, he was playing his um, PlayStation. Um, the police failed to take any any um, statements whatsoever. When he first when it first happened, there were some police officers and they took part of the statements. But then eventually he came home, and eight hours later he went back to hospital, and he's no longer here today. But in terms of the police failures, in that sense, part of the statement was taken, but they did not bother to check on him or the mum during their first initial stay in the hospital, so the um, statement was not completed. 
so that's a, that's a real fail in itself. In terms of Michelle, she's just a wonderful person, but we started, myself and Jerry, we went down to Michelle's house um, and we did spend the five hours and we were working on this big rally and protests and vigils right across the country. And it was just really beautiful in terms of the overwhelming support. And Michelle will tell you herself how much support that she received and she was really quite humbled and surprised by it, if I can be honest. But we end up having about 50 rallies right across the country, protests, vigils, and it was just really beautiful because it was about the healing and the collaboration and the respect and people from all walks of life, from remote communities, the smaller towns, the larger towns, the cities, they all wanted to do something to show their homage and respect. And I guess it actually brought a lot of people together in terms of the healing process. But one of the amazing things is that there were some non-Indigenous people and they wanted to hold some rallies and vigils and protests as well. We never said no. It was just incredible in that sense. But the sad thing about it is that he's no longer here, rest in peace, through no fault of his own through being a normal little schoolboy that just was going home. One of those stories that I'll just say quite quickly, he was an honourable young person. He was someone that was so well respected. He loved his elders, he loved his community, and not one person has said a bad word about him because of his enthusiasm and his kindness and his approach and energy to life. Michelle tells the story of when he was 12 years old, where he said oh, when can I get a job? And she said, oh, I think you might have to be about 15 years old. Anyway, at the age of 13, he grabbed the family lawnmower, went down down the street, made a couple of people's lawns, came back to the house. And he said to Mum, do you think there's anyone else wants their lawn mowed? And she said, well, what are you going to ask? So next minute, off he went. It was getting dark, and she hadn't heard from him, didn't know how to contact him because he didn't have his phone with him. Eventually, he comes back home, and Michelle said, where have you been? I've been worried about you. He says, well, I've just made 15 laws and put lawns, and five people wanted to come back. Yeah, um, but see, that's night, wonderful. Yeah, later on that night, he said to Michelle, do you think I'm going to have to pay tax? You know, <laughs> at this ripe, beautiful, tender age of 13, he was also, he was, you know, thinking like a little businessman, and he sadly is a huge loss to his family because they are close-knit but it's also a huge loss to our community because of his approach to life and how he actually conducted himself and it was really really sad the funeral there was 500 people that attended um there was just so much love and solidarity and respect and it was incredibly sad and i was really quite humble to you know go to the funeral but there was nothing but sadness in my heart because it's, it's something that should not have happened. It should not have happened. And um, I suppose we've got to be careful about contempt of court, don't we? Because I think the case, it, it, like, it's still open, right? That's correct. Yeah, so um, we've got to be careful. But right, definitely so racial what, profiling what be, there. What can be said is that the, the 21-year-old man, as this has been identified in the media and it's public knowledge, has been charged with murder. Yeah, it's it's pretty. And for cultural reasons, um, like has the family given permission to release his name or not? Um, yes, they've been really quite strong on using his name from when it first happened. Um, okay, and, and what Cassius. is his name, Megan? His name is Cassius. Cassius. 
I'm so glad that we're able to pay tribute because this show actually does pay tribute a lot to people that have, you know, First Nations people that have died and and all deaths, not just deaths in custody, like even racial. We, we've covered a lot of stuff about racial profiling as well. So I really wanted to to um to pay tribute to him today. It was um just in look it could have went either way right across the country. People were angry. Of course. People were really angry. They talked about the vigilante groups. They talked about the racial profiling, and they were really angry that this could happen. Absolutely. So the way that Michelle conducted herself in the media, she wanted the calm. She wanted the love. She wanted the respect. And what she wanted, what one of her key messages was, violence feeds violence. So full respect to how she actually toned it right across the country in the first case because this was something that could have got well and truly out of control. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Megan. I'm glad we've got we've got um, enough time because there's there's so much to talk about. Now moving on now to Banksia Hill nightmare which highlights urgent need for prison reform and even prison abolition. I was wondering if you two could speak to it and talk about Banksia, Four Corners, um, the Four Corners show, and also perhaps give us an update of just background and an update of what's happening with the class action. Well, the class action is being led by uh, Levitt and Robinson. I helped galvanise the class action because of what I saw in Banksia. And uh, in 2020, when Megan and I were actually in Banksia uh, for eight weeks, uh, we were commissioned during the uh, worst of the pandemic when they quarantined the state. In March of 2020, uh, they had quarantined all residents and all non-essential workers to their homes, and only essential workers could go to work. And what happened was all the outreach services and a lot of the uh, non-essential inreach services and internal services at Banksia had pulled the pin, so they had their lowest staffing levels ever recorded. And uh, on the day of that happening, Megan, myself, and the National Suicide Prevention and Recovery Project, Connie, my daughter, were asked and summoned to Banksia. Megan and I went, and uh, and we started straight away. They just asked us to start straight away. We've been trying to get into restorative work. When it was a need basis, triage based approach, when they wanted to actually keep incidences down in that holding tender for our human misery, they commissioned us to come in and we said yes. So yeah. we actually uh, de escalated every, for some of we de escalated every uh, potential crisis, every potential incident that came across us 100% of the time. And uh, that's what they wanted. And we did that while the staffing levels were their lowest. So all this stuff that gets said today about what constitutes and comprises. Uh, incidences and what the stresses and, and the triggers are and how they're handled. Absolutely, Jerry. Sorry, Jerry. Can I just stop you there? Um, sorry for sorry to interrupt. Um, can you just kind of put your like speak up just a little bit? Oh yes. yes Excellent. Yes. Thank you. Go on. Part, part, part of my problem is I've got Parkinson's and I don't. Uh, part of my audibility is. Uh, oh no! Listen, it doesn't show at all. Really, it's environmental, Dale. Don't worry about it, Jerry. It's nothing to do with that. It's it's just because you're you you you've been merged, and uh, like you speak beautifully. Actually, to be honest, um, it's more that because you've merged and you're the second caller, we just needed you to speak up a bit more. So don't worry. So in the end, in the eight weeks while we were there, I took the opportunity the next morning to tell Connie, who works on the outside, uh, doing all the support stuff, support letters, housing security, 
interim accommodation, Medicare, identity uh, cards and the like, and, uh, and connection to settling payments and so forth for the older kids that were coming out. Uh, I said, let's do restorative work. Let's do the transformational stuff that uh, they don't, they've never experienced before, the stuff that we do, the stuff that we did in the Acacia Prison, the largest prison in Western Australia, where we reduced suicidality to its lowest uh, level ever and the lowest self-harms ever recorded in those nine months while Megan, Connie and, uh, and myself were present in those nine months. And uh, we did the restorative work, changed young people's lives. Uh, we focused in on the girls because we knew we didn't have enough time. We knew that once the quarantine was over, they'd pull us out. And things would return to norm, a whole different corral of human misery. And, uh, and it's no more than that because 70% of the children go on to adult incarceration. That's a fail. Mm. And, uh, and a huge fail at that. That's a, a systemic issue. Black, brown and white children, all 70% go to adult incarceration. And significant stretches of that. Absolutely. So, the day we went in, uh, on, uh, in late March, there were 18 uh, girls, 8, 11 to uh, 18, in, in the prison in one compound called Gita. The last day uh, we were in and out, we had more than half of the seven. And, uh, and that was remarkable because it was only eight weeks of turnaround and we supported them post-release unfunded when we were stitched for funding when they didn't need us anymore. We completed their bails and some of them completed parole uh, for the first time. And, uh, and, uh, and met their conditions on bail and, you know, uh, every child I applied for in the children's court, no matter how serious their uh, offending or, or allegations uh, were, uh, were released into our care. I provided substantive care plans and demonstrated the way uh, of what they should look like, safety nets and all that sort of stuff and the intense psychosocial support that Megan and I put in. So we reduced the prison population of the females from 18 to 7. And uh, we changed lives. We got kids into education, into employment, into employment, uh, into housing security. We didn't give up on them. We believed on them uh, until they believed in themselves. And some of them uh, had nowhere to go. They had the weaker safety nets, no safety nets at all. Some of them transients, uh, no parents, or parents in jail. So yeah, that sounds really amazing, Jerry. But let, let's put it in context. So, so what you're saying basically is that your um, the the class action has organised programs. Is that right? What I'm saying is that even basic rudimentary services yes. in the prison. Oh. Facilitative transformational just does not exist. They have the oh, I see what you're saying. And it's an empty shell. And it's, it's not just the things that we saw in there, the abhorrence of degradation of denigration. Now I get it. Uh, racism, classism, slagging, uh, excessive force, and, uh, and, and deprivation of liberty and solitary confinement. It's also the things we didn't see. It's, we didn't see the... Uh, 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 educational activity of a good uh, transferable You didn't see. Yeah, I get it now. Yeah. It doesn't exist. So because we, we were uh, going to be funded to do more, and uh, we were in the procurement process, of, uh, and we were actually already assured a certain level of funding. We couldn't betray all the others that would fall by the wayside. So we had to compel social reform. Government wasn't listening. Uh, in part, I believe they don't care. Uh, in part, I believe people, when they become politicians, have forked tongues and change. And public, uh, 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 anyway, I won't go down that path. Uh, so yeah. I launched the class action because I've launched a lot of legal actions over the years and uh, to right wrongs. I launched the collective uh, ac- action, the class action, and it's now got 200 testimonies, um, the majority of them collected by Megan, myself, and Connie and Felicia. Megan's daughter, Connie's my daughter. And, uh, Absolutely. And it's that, important. That class action is what has shone the light. That class action mm. is uh, what is called all the levers. That class action is what has got everybody to stand up, stand out, and 
uh, and you know, and even those who have come in late, at least have joined the wagon train once they got through the battlefields, the landmines that we walked and dodged mm. and fought. And we've got targets on our backs heavily. Uh, we've had to walk. Not just Bankshire Hill, but also the adult prisons. The adult prisons so, as well. Yeah. And, and it's not the Department of Corrective Services, and it's not the Department of uh, Justice that's actually blocked us, which are uh, uh, overarch. They've actually told us themselves it's the government. The government <laughs> is upset that you're suing the government. And I don't know why they've taken it personally, uh, because this is about children being betrayed. That's and exactly right. As being believer. And without the class action, all these voices and the multitude of voices that have come out and the people who on their watch did nothing but have come out of late, uh, they wouldn't have come out. Has it finished, Jerry? No. Is it still going? He's working on the class action. I'll let her take over and talk. Yeah, go on, on, Auntie. You know, like, these are my big crybabies. That's what they are, big crybabies. It's 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 a government that is leading by tyranny and dictatorship, and Jerry is absolutely right. We did go into Banksy Hill. We did take it from 18 down to 7, and none of those kids come back into into Banksy Hill. So there is a way forward. The government has basically said there's no way forward, and as a result, on the 20th of July, they transferred 17 kids over to Unit 18 into Katarina Prison, which is a maximum security prison. So there was no justifiability for that. So in terms of what where it is at this point, is that there's still children in Banksy there's still children at Unit 18. The class action, that was a turning point because the incarceration has been unabated for decades. And we had to stand up and say, no, sorry, this is not good enough. We do know it's a poverty narrative. We do know that 60 or 70% go on into adult prisons. We need to abate the crisis. So Jerry and I and the families, we were in the trenches and we were fighting hard. We had three rolling lockdowns. One at Banksy Hill, the next one at Minister Johnson's office, who's the Minister yeah. of Corrective Services in Western Australia, and then we went to the office, one after the next, after the next. Jerry was just absolutely incredible in terms of media, week in, week out, week in, week out. The children that had been in Banksy Hill, bearing in mind that there's been 10,000 since it opened in 1997, they also spoke, and they spoke about their experiences, and they were able to rebut the yeah. myths that the government puts out so smoothly that everything was running beautifully. Well, the 600 testimonies with Levitt Robinson says otherwise. It talks about the harshness. It talks about the violations of human rights. It talks about how kids were slammed to the ground there. And then you've seen in the Four Corners story one of the young boys, um, the actual evidence about the treatment that he sustained while there. That's the manic of many. The folding up technique is something that we've heard time and time and time again. Our experience in Banksy Hill... people told us about it. Our experience up in Acacia Prison, the largest prison in Western Australia, told us about it as well in terms of the people. We had to bring it to the fore. Jerry was instrumental in bringing it to the fore by by approaching Leverett Robinson, who the Palm Island lawyers are, who won the $30 million against the state of Queensland as a result of the death of Mr Domiji, rest in peace, and they are the class action lawyers. Now, there's two actions right now. The first one is... Um, just in relation to an injunction about Unit 18. So that's in the courts right now. The second one, which is a one with a class action with all the the mob on it, um, that's had to go through the Australian Human Rights Commission and waiting for termination of that complaint. Once that's terminated, then that'll go into the federal court. It's basically a, a procedural step. 
the government have been really quite woeful. We do know that 40% of people, Aboriginal people, fall below the poverty line. We do know that 60% in Western Australia fall below the poverty line. We do know that 100, well, 1 in 12 Aboriginal men are in prison today. The crisis had to be abated, so full credit to Jerry for making this happen. And as a result, the government yesterday offered, what, $63 million into Banksy Hill Unit 18. And Jerry can unpack that. You there, Jerry? Oh. Hey, Jerry. That's, That's all right. okay. That's okay. All, no, you, we've we've got a lot of um. So just so the government yesterday, there's been relentless pressure. Um, as a result of the four corners, the young boy, um, the folding up technique. It's a technique that's been used for a long time and. Basically, it can lead to death. It's excruciating painful. There's been allegations of shoulders that have been dislocated as a result of the excessive force that's been used. Yep. And it's a really painful and psychologically damaging experience for a lot of these young ones to have and be subjected to. So there's been relentless media left, right and centre over here in WA um, and, you know, to some degree nationally as a result of the Four Corners story, which is uh, amazing in that sense. But the, the McGowan government yesterday came out and said, here you go, here's $63 million. That'll make the problem go away. Well, the $63 million, the, the majority of it is spent on bricks and water. That's in terms of the repairs. The second part of it is about recruitment of more staff. Well, that's going to be more prison officers or guards. And even the recruitment processes over here in relation to getting Aboriginal people to become guards is really quite strict and quite onerous. And there's a six-stage process that the person has to go through to become a guard. A lot of our people at any one of those stages can fall out, the, out at the psychological testing. And then the third part to the funding is, you know, therapeutic programs. But that's very much, much the same. The same services doing the same thing. That's right. Uh, maybe there'll be a few more dollars into it. So to me, that's whitewashing. The, the government is very—it's whitewashing. It doesn't go to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is a poverty narrative. A lot of these young ones, when they come from Banksia Hill, they're going out to um, very limited safety nets, if I can be honest, and sometimes very weak safety nets. Let's not forget the other cousins there, and that cousin is Department of Child Protection. Forty percent of those children are in the Department of Child Protection. And there's been stories, and I know a lot of these families, where their child has actually self-harmed, been taken to hospital, and they are the last to find out about it. That's exactly right. The child protection system, stolen generation, there's so many things. Well, Arnie Megan, we've we've actually broken a record here. We've... We we had a really long, long extended interview and I've got to go on to my next one soon. Are there any final comments you wanted to make before we finish? Um, Look, 132 castle estates right across the country, 17 of those are youth detention centres. We need to abate the crisis right across the country. What we've done with in Western Australia is we do have the Banksy Hill class action. The crisis has been unabated for decades. There needs to be more class actions right across the country in the absence of political will. Otherwise, that's going to lead to more death, more hurt, more pain and further um, violations of human rights right across the country. So we need to really show that strength, that courage and let it come from the ground up. It's the voices of the people that will make the difference. 
Megan, thank you so much. And thank you so much, Jerry, too, wherever you are. <laughs> no worries, my darling. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. You. you were both amazing. Thanks, me, Annie, Megan, and we'll talk very soon. Hope so. See you, my darling. Bye. See you. Bye. Hi, we're the Marindas, and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Join us for the 2022 edition of The Change, Definitions of Freedom, Interactive Theatre, 7 to 9pm on the 16th of December at the Honda Showrooms, Hoddle Street. We're also having an exhibition and preview from 5pm Thursday, 24th of November at The Store, Abbotsford Convent. Find out more on Facebook at The Change Definitions of Freedom. The Change is presented by United Struggle Project, a 3CR supporter. And that was Megan Cracker and Jerry from the National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery Project. And we were talking about a number of issues, including Banksia and also... Um, paying tribute to a young man that died as a result of racial profiling. So pretty soon, well, actually quite shortly, we'll be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action. Wilfred Laurier University Press is pleased to announce the release of Music Making in US Prisons, Listening to Incarcerated Voices by Mary L. Cohen and Stuart P. Duncan. The US incarceration machine imprisons more people than in any other country. Music making in US prisons looks at the role music making can play in achieving goals of accountability and healing that challenge the widespread assumption that prisons and punishment keep societies safe. So we're going to be speaking with Brett about this amazing book very soon and... Um, we were speaking off air this morning, actually, about the, you know, the, the, the goodness that music can, can give to prisons and how that can happen. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the program. Yes. Hello, Marissa. Great to have you. Now, <laughs> Brett. Always good to speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And we're getting to the, towards the end of the year again. But um, can you just talk to us about the book and, and, and tell us, you know, the role that music can play? And can that happen in Australia as well. Can you just give us a bit of background? Look, um, look music is, a, is an enormously important uh, area of art. It's an area, it's, a, it's, a, it's effectively you know, the only uh, way in which some people can express themselves. In fact, there's, there's no known culture that doesn't have music. You know, music is actually you know, very much of a, uh, of a, uh, a community, an individual, uh, a personal expression, and, um, and uh, it, it develops things like you know, a sense of closeness, belonging with others, and a whole range of things. But it, it, the, the research has shown um, that uh, if you're engaging in some sort of performance or creation of music, it's... it's um, it affects you physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, a whole range of things um, are seen, um, seen as being in goods. In fact, uh, there's a, an ancient um, uh, philosopher, Plato, who actually, um, he said that music was a, was a more potent instrument for transformation than any other, any other. So there you go. So, um, so music is special, and um, and so music in prisons is so oh, well. It's um, it's uh, the research has said that it creates a, a safer environment. People are happy with one another. Um, it's, it's certainly amazing the effect it has. So, how did you get to hear about this project, and can you tell us a little bit about the book? 
Look, look, we had some um, Alexis Callio, who's actually um, a University of uh, of um, uh, a Griffith. Um, uh, she's the deputy director of, uh, of the Conservative on Music up in the, there in, in Queensland, and so uh, she came to visit us because she was uh, speaking as a uh, she was a keynote speaker in a in a conference. She came down to talk with us, and we went, "Whoa, look at this!" And and the more we looked at what she was doing, the more we felt that we had to get this out and make it part of the Computers and Cells project because that's a very natural way in which people can um, do things in their cell and make use of this technology that's coming into um, prisons uh, throughout Australia. Absolutely. So how did you, um, how do we link that up to the US? I mean, is that is that a program well, that's happening already there? Uh, yes, I suppose so. Look, this is actually this is a universal right. I mean, quite honestly, the um, the United Nations actually uh, make a point of saying that the um, there's this is a uniquely human expression in some um, social activity. So this is not only just a U.S. Um, and a, a yeah. intervention or um, a suggestion. In fact, the, um, there is this uh, United Nations um, uh, support uh, for music yeah. rights. And there are five music rights they actually lay down. They say well, one is the right to express themselves musically in all freedom, uh, and two is to, um, to learn musical languages and skills, and the third thing is to have access to musical involvement through the participation, listening, and listening creation and information. And then to develop artistry and communicate through all media with proper facilities at their disposal. And the last thing is to um, obtain just recognition and fair remuneration for their work. So music, their music rights, uh, but their benefits are, you know, are so are so wide. I mean, I, I, when I when I read the story of the Lullaby Project, uh, where where women uh, were able to um, sing lullabies to their children from inside jail. And um, and we're able to make a, a connection that otherwise they wouldn't make. So that's a, a, before you actually you know start to talk, you, know, you have a have a chance to just sing. And and, and so the lullaby project is just it brought tears to my eyes when I when I read about it. I thought, yes, I know I know I know the um, a, a, the importance of a a, a parent um, being able to sing to their child, and it's certainly at the early stages. That's really amazing. That's that's great because I mean a lot of the time. You know, prison's about locking up the poor, isn't it? And you've got a lot of women um, of of all of, of all races and abilities who are locked up and are separated from their children. So, to do that would be amazing. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing about about it is, though, um, in some ways, this is the biggest seller for um, for corrective services all around Australia. And that is that the um, the statistics of people who um, who have been engaged in music, they they the stats show that it reduces recidivism by sixty percent. Sixty percent. So this is a, this is a real um, a, a game changer. Uh, where you're able to have instead of um, being um, reduced to not having an instrument in yourself, I might say, oh, you can't have a guitar because it's uh, too noisy for other people. You know, you use the strings to strangle somebody or whatever they want to say. Um, the nice thing about this is that it can be done on a, a compact um, a, a tablet, a, a, a um, computer tablet in your cell, and you can have an external teacher teaching you how to how to how to how to um, to um, pre- create. And present music, and then you can write um, songs, and you can express yourself in those sorts of ways just in, from in your cell. And that's, a, that's, that's right. a, such a game changer. So important. So important. So this is um, so sorry, Brett. Can you just let's put this in context? So with the book, then, so there's been a book written, but it's not actually happening yet, is it? The instruments are not allowed yet 
in prisons, is it? No, 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 no. Look, music is, has always been a part of um, a prison area. I mean, I, I can remember um, uh, way back, way back oh, uh, yeah. 30 years ago, we had groups of people singing together and um, in, uh, out in the yards and in the, in the uh, compounds. Um, so, you know, that, that's, music has always been a part, part of... But um, just not in, they're out in the cells, obviously. That's right. Well, that's right. Although, you know, people have also the musical instrument in their cell, they can actually sing. sing right. Sort of that now. But this is different. We're now talking about a, a, a teacher. A teacher Talk to working me. Yeah, on okay. the tablet, whack yep. yeah, out in the community, and then allocating um, allocating some time to prisoners inside their cells using the tablet and teaching them oh. how, to, how to then create music for the first time. So they, like they, we've actually isolated um, two particular uh, programs, apps, like which go onto the onto the tablets, and the one's called Sound Lab, and another one's another one's called um, Bands uh, Soundtrack and Band Lab, and both of them are actually uh, like really inexpensive, and so would make it just such a difference. So we're actually in the process now of negotiating. Uh, well, in fact, with all um, corrective services right around Australia, uh, and we've had people like from Queensland, from um, from uh, South Australia, from Tasmania, um, like the top people inside corrective services have said, "This is wonderful. Yes, we need to do this." So we're right in behind us. So there you are. So, so certainly, it's one of these um, uh, good uh, news stories, uh, but has yet to be played out in every state and territory. And I suspect that Victoria might be a little bit behind some of the other jurisdictions. Well, yeah, Victoria's got a very, very high incarceration rates, not just of um, Indigenous prisoners, but also in the child protection system as absolutely. well. Well, absolutely. And the, the nice thing about this is that, is that um, it, it's particularly valid for, for, for younger people. For younger people, they, the chance to actually learn um, uh, um, to get used to rhythms or, 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 for example, what they call listening to country for, for the um, uh, Aboriginal um, uh, youth um, to, um, to be able to express themselves and then they start to see themselves in, in ways that are uh, uh, more with their community and part of their culture rather than being seen themselves as be, being naughty boys and girls, criminals, you know, that sort of thing. And they can express themselves and, and develop um, an expression, which is something that other people can appreciate and they can lift their own view of themselves. Okay, so so this is this is actually quite far-reaching, so hopefully we can negotiate to have those teachers in there very soon. Oh, look, absolutely. Well, in fact, we we are we've been speaking to all states and territories, and um, and we have a, like a, a very carefully prepared um, uh, presentation where, which identifies the uh, the sorts of um, programs which are safe. There's, there's no question about um, being able to divert um, messages through away from the teacher. They have, can, can directly deal only with the teacher or with other students outside as well. And so you have they all um, they, those uh, are now able to be done right now. So it comes down to ensuring that each of the jurisdictions um, uh, uh, does open up the opportunities to people in prison. So a lot of pressure being applied at the moment. Uh, a lot of states and territories are very um, uh, concerned about the number of people who are returning to prison after going to jail. So, so if we are able to um, put forward some proposals like these, uh, which mean that corrective services can see there's a way in which they can reduce recidivism and get people ready for release and survive outside, uh, then it's very hard for them to refuse. For sure. Now, how do we get hold of the book, um, Brett? 
Well, and the book itself, now the book is probably available through Amazon, but but the what we have, we have some papers about music in prison. So there's the original paper that was actually prepared by um, the Griffith University, um, uh, Alexis Calio, and then we've extended that with a, another um, uh, uh, another document, uh, about a oh, 20, 25-page document. Um, it's called Music in Prison, so it's actually on, on our website. So if any, um, anyone listening who wants to have a family member uh, download it from our website, it's all there. And, um, and like, we encourage people to push their uh, uh, commissioners, push their uh, governments, whoever they, um, whichever jurisdiction they're in. Um, you know, this is, um, is a, like, un, um, a, a, a unable to be rejected offer. Right? This is such a, a, such a wonderful um, a, a opportunity for, for people to develop skills and give them all these other benefits as well. It's very hard for any government to refuse it. Can you just um, read out the Justice Action website, Brett? Yes, okay. So it's www.justiceaction.org.au. And, and I think it's probably the third thing on the, on the uh, third, third panel on the website. It says Music and Prisons, and there's uh, a lot of good information there, and then the two, uh, two reports you can download from there as well. And so the book is actually called, just to clarify, Listening to Incarcerated Voices by Mary L. Cohen and Stuart P. Duncan. Okay, an excellent book, and Alexis was the one who drew our attention to it, and um, she's a very enthusiastic, very well-connected woman in music and prisons. And sending out a cheerio to Alexis there um, for bringing attention to that. Yes, absolutely. Brett, thank you so much for coming onto the program. I mean, have you got any final comments that uh, you want to no, make? Um, look, we, <laughs> there, like there's so, so many projects in behind the computer tablets. It, it opens up a whole range of things. Music is one of them, but probably even more important is is for some people who need some uh, some uh, new ideas about how they can run their lives and and um, you know find find a bit of um, uh, you know, some some suggestions for themselves. Uh, external counsellors will be available through the uh, tablets as well. So instead of um, being fronted to the psychologist who's going to make a report about you know what you say to them and you shut up. And say nothing. Um, you have an external psychologist who can actually, or counsel could be a doctor, could be, but these external people who are part of the mainstream services who will then be able to use the tablets. So tablets are extremely important. There are things like education that comes in through them as well. So instead of sitting in the slot and, some, and just uh, wasting your time and watching TV and, and getting bored as hell, you have a chance to get up on your toes, find new stuff um, and, and develop. And then, and then when you get out, you've got things you can do and, and, and make money too. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Brett, thank you so much. You've been you've been great, um, and and it's I really appreciate you coming onto the program at such short notice. Okay, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Lovely. Okay, keep bye up bye. the good work. Yeah. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. You're listening to Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM. Visit the Three CR website at three crorgau forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, 
not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Robbie Thorpe. Crime Scene Australia, it's not just an ordinary comic. How would you describe this comic, Charlie? It's a comic book for adults. We're taking Australian history, turning it on its head and making it real history. It's funny and it's dark. It's supernatural. We've got to launch the comic. Robbie and I will both be there from 6 o'clock. Carol Carpenny from Us Mob playing a bunch of songs. We do a bit of a smoking ceremony to bring everybody in. To all the listeners out there, if you're interested in coming along, it's Thursday, the 1st of December, 6 o'clock at Wolfhound Cafe on Brunswick Street for Crime Scene Australia. When you know your history, you know you know where you're coming from. A 3CR supporter. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio on digital and online 3CR Radical Radio. Tune in to Rest is Survival, 3CR's International Day of People with Disability broadcast. On 3rd of December, 7am to 7pm, we're talking about the role of rest in the anti-capitalist revolution. With programming by multiply marginalised disabled people and disabled broadcasters from the 3CR community. Visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2022. And you just heard an interview with Brett Collins from Justice Action speaking about music in prisons and a new book that's just come out. And we're nearing the end of our show now and wanted to thank all of our guests for contributing to the show and also just reminding listeners that we have, we're also paying tribute as well to um, a young Aboriginal man that, that died in WA. And so I wanted to to actually say goodbye from Marissa. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. And we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella from the Rumpy Band. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Stay, stay, um, take care of each other. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.